0: All right. In this last session, I want you to join me in my favorite book of the Bible, the Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15. True story, a number of years ago. I don't tell untrue stories. I don't even why I say that. Several years ago, we were playing the newlywed game. It was actually for old people, although at that time, I think we'd been married about 20, 25 years. And uh, my wife and I, we destroyed the uh, other couples. I mean, it was a slaughter. And uh, part of it, I think, is because I do marriage conferences, and so we know a few things better than some people in terms of just thinking about things. But two questions put us over the top. One was, what is the last thing your husband fixed around the house? We well, all need to understand something. I had a mechanical bypass at birth. I don't fix anything. I can barely change a light bulb. I mean, my dad had this monstrous uh, tool shed that when he died, my brother, my brother-in-law and my nephew by marriage descended on that thing like locusts. And they were in there just, and they said, well, what do you want? And my dad had an old metal box fan. And I said, I want the box fan. They said, that's it? I said, that's it. You don't want any of the screwdrivers, any of the drills? And I said, no. Why would I want any of that stuff? I mean, it's just going to sit in my house. I mean, my wife's the one that fixes everything. So anyway, they come to me and they say, what's the last thing you fix around the house? And I'm like, I'm racking my brain. Last week, nothing. Last month, nothing. Last year, nothing. Last decade, nothing. And I'm I'm trying. And finally, the guy said, well, you got to say something or we're going to have to move on. I said, well, can you say nothing? Crowd exploded. She holds up a card, nothing. So she knew very well her husband. Then the second question that won it was the bonus question. What is your husband's favorite book of the Bible? One guy said, what's the gospel of John? His wife said Romans. Another guy said, well, it's Philippians, but she said uh, the the book of Revelation. They came to me, and I said, "I, I, I hate to do this, but I mean, I know exactly what she wrote on that card. She wrote the Song of Solomon, and she holds up the card, the Song of Solomon. You say, why is it your favorite book? Well, number one, I really am a romanticist at heart. And it's, a, it's God's love story between a man and a woman. And it's just a beautiful, poetic rendering of God's ideal. It takes you back to what marriage was to be like before the fall and what marriage should be like in Christ. But then secondly, it's a, it's a, it's a, a foretelling, a, a, a picture of, of the coming of Christ. You say, no, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. Who's in the Song of Solomon? A shepherd king. You ever heard about that before? who's in search of a bride, who by the end of the book can say of his bride, she's perfect, she's flawless, there is no defect in her. Well, guess what? There is a shepherd king in search of a bride. His name is Jesus, and you and I are that bride. And the Bible teaches that in the book of the Revelation, we will be an absolutely perfect, flawless, flawless, bride for all of eternity for our shepherd king and the earliest picture you get of that is the song of solomon now there's eight beautiful chapters but there's a single verse tucked in chapter two and verse 15 that is so full of application catch the foxes for us the little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards are in blossom you say what does that got to do with marriage danny everything Solomon compares marriage to a vineyard. Now, even to this day, Israel is flush with grape vineyards. It's one of their leading exports. But I've learned, and it's still true, foxes love grapes, and especially the vines. Well, you plant a vineyard by planting it, killing it, cultivating it, but also protecting it. But here's the deal. Foxes are not big, they're little. They don't come out during the day, they come out at night. And though I'm not an expert in foxology, I know enough about foxes to know that they're small, small, they're sneaky, and they're quick. And here's what happens. If you're not protecting your vineyard, if you're not protecting your marriage, little things will slip in. You don't realize they're there. And while they're there, they will eat away at your grape vineyard so that when it comes time for the harvest, there's nothing there. And Solomon is saying to us, that's exactly what happens in marriage. Most marriages that falter don't get in trouble over big things. They get in trouble over little things, little foxes that can sneak in to your vineyard. And so what I want to do is look at some of these little foxes under the idea, men are from earth and women are from earth, deal with it. Now, if you're about my age, you will remember a man named John Gray, you remember that name? John Gray wrote a book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And he became an overnight millionaire and a household name and a TV celebrity because he, he, he touched a theme and a, and a chord, a nerve that we all resonate with. And that is this, men and women are really different. But here's the deal, he's wrong. Men are not from Mars and women are not from Venus. We're from the same planet. And goodness, when we get married, now we live in the same house, we sleep in the same bed, we try to navigate the same closet and even more, the same bathroom, and marriages get in trouble over little things. And so what I want us to do is very quickly highlight some of the little things that you and I need to be on guard against in the day in which we live. So here we go. Number one, the fox of gender confusion, which actually is probably a bigger fox now. A marriage will get in trouble when God's role for the husband and the wife is reversed or abused. And all I mean by that is this. God made men to be men, husbands and fathers. And God made women to be women, wives and mothers. And if those roles get reversed, your marriage will get in trouble. And let's be honest. We live in a day that is awash with gender confusion. My goodness, and our children and grandchildren that are growing up are going to so struggle with a culture that has absolutely lost its mind when it comes to gender. And listen, it's not going to be popular for us to stay true to the Word of God, but you've got to both in terms of raising your children, influencing your grandchildren, but in your own marriage. You need to understand that God designed men to be men and women, women. But let me be clear. Don't get your model for masculinity from the culture. Get it from the Bible. I'll give you one example I was reading about last night. Cooking. Cooking. Who normally cooks in a marriage? The wife. Is that in the Bible? Uh Uh-uh. It ain't there, dear God. If I come to your house, let your husband cook. Let him let him grill out them steaks, those ribs, some fish. I love I love grilled fish. Some women shouldn't cook. Some women shouldn't cook. Some men shouldn't cook either. But that's a stereotype. That's a stereotype. Women are supposed to wash dishes. Where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Some men are really good at washing dishes. Look, I I can't stand to wash dishes, but I am a I am I'm in the hall of fame when it comes to washing. Drying and folding clothes. Ask, Call caller. Charlotte, is your husband like in the Hall of Fame? Oh, you better believe he is. That man, he won't let anything. When I come home from my trip on Monday night, I will not be in that house five minutes. All my clothes that's in my travel bag will be in that washing machine. <laughs> and they'll be in the dryer before I go to bed. You say, why are you like that? I don't know. But I like washing clothes. For some of you, oh, I'd rather die than wash clothes. Well, fine. Don't bind the stereotypes. Let the Bible identify and define what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. So they get reverse trouble. They get abused. I believe very strongly in male headship in the home. But listen, guys, God did not call you to be a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal or a frustrated drill sergeant in the way you talk to and treat your wife and kids. You are to be a shepherd leader, a servant leader. You're to be like Jesus in the way you lead your home. And he was not a jerk, He was a masculine male, a a carpenter. But he was a kind of man that little kids just flocked to him and crawled up into his lap because they knew they would be loved and welcomed. That's what it means to be a real man. Number two, the fox of intimacy stagnation. A marriage will get in trouble when initial sensual love, which is the way we all start, fails to develop into true intimacy. You say, Danny, what are you saying? I'm saying that that initial Physical, sensual attraction is enough to get you started. It won't get you to the finish line. So you say, what's the key to killing? The little fox of intimacy stagnation, the last thing I talked about in the last session, best friends. In my notes, I've got written real big, best friends. And if you become best friends, you will discover an intimacy that gets wider and deeper than you could ever ever imagine When I married Charlotte 43 years ago, I loved her. I think I loved her as much as a 21-year-old can love anyone. But if I were to say to you this morning, when we got married, I loved her, and today I love her, it doesn't work. It, It makes no sense. What I have to say is this. When we got married, I loved her. Today, oh my goodness, I really, 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 really love her. I did not know that you could love another human being as much as I love my wife. But you don't get there overnight. You get there over decades of growing in your friendship with one another. Number three, the fox of poor communication, which needs to have a star by it. A marriage will get in trouble when it is not being nourished by regular and genuine communication. I mentioned to you a moment ago that when I do premarital counseling, After talking to a couple about their relationship with the Lord Jesus, I will share with them there are five areas in your marriage, all marriage and family therapists, all family and marriage researchers agree, there are five areas in your marriage that will need to be constantly monitored for your marriage to be healthy. They are in this order, communication, finances, sex, children, and in-laws. And but today, because of the way we're living longer, aging parents is now beginning to enter in as number six. But still, the big five communication, finances, um, uh, communication, sex, finances, rearing of your children, in laws. And here's the deal if you begin to have difficulty in relating to your in laws, If you begin to have problems in the rearing of your children, if you begin to have difficulty in your finances, if you begin to have difficulty in your intimate life, mark it down. It will be because communication broke down. Go through the eight chapters of the Song of Solomon, and there's sex all through it, especially the beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 1, which is their wedding night. But if you go through the book, they are talking back and forth all the time, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they're also praising one another all the time, all the time. So communication, even in God's love manual, is absolutely critical and crucial. But communication is probably the most difficult work in marriage you'll ever do. And it's also the biggest challenge. There's a secular Jew by the name of John Gottman. He's kind of fallen off the scene because of age. But he was a professor on the West Coast, I believe at Washington University. It could have been Washington State. It was one of the Washington schools. And he wrote a book several years ago on marriage and how marriages break down and how marriages can survive. But in one of the chapters, he has a chapter on what he calls, I love this, the four horsemen of the apocalypse that destroy marriages. He's not even a Christian, but he knows that phrase. The four horsemen of the apocalypse that destroy marriages. And all four horsemen relate to communication. So you say, well, Danny, what are the four horsemen? You don't have this in your notes, so you'd have to write it down somewhere. But here are the four horsemen. Number one, criticism. Number two, defensiveness. Number three, stonewalling. And number four, contempt. Criticism. Criticism defensiveness, stonewalling, contempt, and those are what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse that destroy marriage. Criticism. Uh, You're always looking at life with a partly cloudy disposition. You use words in your marriage like you never, you always, and you never take responsibility for anything yourself, and that is deadly to a marriage. Secondly, defensiveness. You're never wrong. You're never wrong. It's always somebody else's fault. You're always the victim. No, you're not. Sometimes we're victimizers because we're sinners. And yet you don't take responsibility for anything. You're always in the defensive mode. Number three, stonewalling. There's a problem in your marriage. It's an issue that arises. You need to talk about it. But you say, well, no, no, no. If we ignore it, what? It'll go away. No, it won't. This just gets worse and worse and worse, and then it explodes. But he said of the four horsemen, the most lethal and deadly is contempt. And he says in his book that, of course, most of the time contempt is not verbal. Most of the time contempt is body language. You look at your mate, you fold your arms, you go. and You shake your head and roll your eyes, and basically what you say to your mate is this. I think so little of you, I won't even fight with you. I won't even have an argument. These guys here on your staff will tell you that if a couple comes in to see them and they are fighting like a cat and a dog, there's hope. There's hope. Why? Because they care enough to fight. But every time I've ever had, without exception, there may be one that I don't know about, but all that I know of, every time I've ever done marriage counseling, they come in and they sit there like the sphinx, and I begin to talk to them about what's going on in their marriage, and they show no passion they show no feelings. They show nothing in terms of emotion. I realize, man, they are all but gone. They don't care anymore. I had a lady one time that came in, and I'm trying to use what I call shock therapy. And I said, let me ask you a question, ma'am. Your husband leaves here, drops you off the house, and goes out and has an affair. What's your response to that? She doesn't bat an eye. I hope he has a good time. They didn't make it because they got to the point where they did not Care. Now, I believe in a God of miracles. But when a marriage gets to the point that contempt is a regular uh, habit of their behavior, that marriage is in serious, serious, serious trouble. You've got to guard against the fox of poor communication. Number four, the fox of time ill spent. Your marriage gets in trouble. When forces of the persons outside the marriage encroach on the all-important time, the two of you need alone to build and maintain a healthy relationship. I'll just say it like this. I believe the most valuable commodity that you and I have in this day and age is time. Time. Nobody in this room can make more time. You can make more money. You cannot make more time. And once you spend your time over here, you don't get to spend it anywhere else. When my boys were in high school... They were very good athletes. One of my sons played Division I basketball at Murray State for a number of years. When they were, the twins were seniors, we had two seniors, a ninth grader and an eighth grader. Between November, between Thanksgiving and February the 28th, that year my twins were seniors, my wife and I saw 72 basketball games. Seventy-two. That's a double college season. That's an NBA season minus 10 games. We saw 72 basketball games. I only missed two or three, and the only ones I missed were the ones that were at the same time but different places, which meant dad went to one, mom went to the other. You say, how did you arrange that? I got my calendar. I badgered the basketball coach, and when the calendar of the games came out, I put them all on my calendar, and I did this. And Paul, just tell me what I would have done. There were about four or five times where when I got the calendar, Uh, The games on the calendar, I saw, my goodness, they had a basketball game the same day. I'm supposed to go speak at this church on a weekend. I called the pastor, and uh, this will bless you. I never had a pastor turn me down, not one time. I said, look, I'm not canceling because I've never canceled on anything. I said, but could we reschedule, and here's why. My boys have a basketball game then, and I really would like to go watch my boys play basketball, and I never had a pastor turn me down, not one time. I did have some pastors who said to me, older men, I wish I'd done that when my boys were little because I miss those games. You say, Danny, are you telling me you think it's more spiritual for you to go to a basketball game where your boys are playing than to come and speak at a church on a weekend? That's exactly what I'm telling you. I don't mean to put myself down. There are a lot of good speakers that could have come and preached to y'all tomorrow and spoken to you this morning, but there's only one man on the planet who can be Charlotte's husband and Nathan and Jonathan and Paul and Tim's daddy, and that's me, and if I'm not there, then their daddy's not there. You see, it hit me like a ton of bricks. On February the 28th, I'll never forget it, 2003, my youngest son played in a playoff basketball game in Louisville, played against a school, Eastern High School, that had a point guard named Rajon Rondo who went to Kentucky for one year, then went into the NBA, won two two NBA championships, one with the Lakers, one with the Celtics. They played really well, but they lost. And when the buzzer sounded at the end of the fourth quarter, it hit me just like that. You have just watched the last high school basketball game you will ever watch one of your sons play in for the rest of your life. You will never see another one because there are no more. I have no regrets about blocking off that time to be at those games. And you need to take control of your calendar because if you don't, somebody and other things will. The fox of time ill spent. Number five, the fox of outside interference. Your marriage will get in trouble when real and personal needs are being met more and more outside the marriage. This is the fox. It opens the door to this horrible thing called adultery. You say, well, what does this fox look like? If you look on the next page or maybe the bottom of that one, you'll see something called 10 warning signs of infidelity. Let me just run through them quickly. That feeling of going through the marriage motions. You're bored with your marriage. You think you deserve the right to be happy. You think about getting out. Number two, inventing excuses to visit someone of the opposite sex. Number three, increasing contact with someone of the opposite sex in normal environments. Number four, something maybe only you and God know, being preoccupied with thoughts about another person. Five, exchanging of gifts with a friend of the opposite sex. You say, wait a minute, you never buy gifts for your secretaries? Nope. My wife does. She uses my credit card. She always takes them out to lunch at some fruity, fruity thing like the tea room. I ain't going to nothing like called the tea room. I'm, I'm not secure enough in my manhood yet to do that. But, but she does. They know I bought the stuff, but she's the one that takes them out. And my, I think Kim and Kimberly love me, and they hug me, and we go out with their families and stuff. But I don't buy gifts for people of the opposite sex other than my wife and my daughter-in-laws and my, my granddaughters. Number six, making daily, weekly contact with someone by phone. You don't have any women other than your wife in your close, intimate circle? Nope. Number seven, putting yourself in a situation where a friend or employee might become more. Eight, and I'm a huggy, touchy person, but touching, embracing, or glancing at a, a person of the opposite sex. Look, I know how to hug and how not to hug. I know where my hands belong and where they don't belong. Number nine, spending time alone with anyone the opposite sex. We've already dealt with that one. And number 10, inordinate time on the internet, you do know the two major breeding grounds today for infidelity are the workplace and the internet. The workplace and the internet. I had a guy recently, I think we're going to save their marriage, uh, went to a church, this will kill you, went to a church on a Sunday morning. He says, I need to talk to you at the back before the service. This is the 5 till 11. Takes me to the back and says, I'm resigning today. I said, do what? I was the guest preacher. I'm resigning today. I said, well, why are you doing that? He said, well, some people have been saying some stuff on Facebook about me, and it's been hurtful to our church. And my response was, well, is it true? Drops his head, yeah. And what he was doing was he has, was entering into, he swears. Now, I'm skeptical because I think most men are habitual liars. He said, thanks a lot. You're welcome. But I don't trust men. I think you're a bunch of liars. I don't, I don't ever give you the benefit of the doubt. I know I should, but I can't because I have such a strong doctrine of depravity, but we sit down. He says he has not committed adultery physically, but he went through a list of women that he had entered into online relationships, even to the point of meeting them, okay? So then I say to his wife, well, Charlotte actually said, you you weren't checking up on things? Oh, he doesn't let me have his passwords to anything. I I went apoplectic, and I'll go apoplectic on you too. I looked and I said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I said, the two become one. You share everything. And you say, your wife? My wife has access to, not only my wife, both secretaries, my vice president for uh, a business, and our IT guy. You say, why? Well, number one, I forget passwords and I can't get back into the stupid stuff. So I want a lot of people to have my passwords. Secondly, I ain't hiding nothing. And I want my wife, I mean, she's got my calendar, she's got my email, she's got everything, my Twitter account, everything. And my computers are in public places, and my iPad is always available for her to pick up and check. You do not need to hide anything from your mate, nothing. And if you do, repent before the Lord, ask for their forgiveness, and change that starting today. All right, go back very quickly. Number six, the fox of fatigue. Your marriage will get in trouble if the wedding vows are conditional. Marriage no longer a sacred covenant before God. Divorce begins to be considered as a possible solution to an unhappy situation. Let me be the, 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 the prophet and the pastor both, okay? Stay with me. The prophet, not going to back off one whit. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Malachi 2 is clear. God hates divorce. Don't tell me, well, that was a divorce made in heaven. No divorces are made in heaven. They're not. And let's be honest, those of us who are baby boomers, in setting an example for our children, we were pathetic. We so lowered the bar. I, I've got students today. It's amazing. So many students, you know, we pick at men about not getting married. You know why they don't get married? They're scared. You know what they're scared of? Being like mom and dad. I take a survey every year of incoming students at, at a seminar. These are people going into ministry, sold out for Jesus, love the gospel, love the Bible, love the Lord, want to help people. I'll ask them this question: How many of you, either you or your mate, if you're married? came out of a broken home. It's never less than 30%, usually closer to 40%. And that's true for us. My wife grew up in a children's home because she came out of a broken home. And they're terrified because they don't want to go through the pain and the agony of repeating that. And here's the deal. Most of them have never seen up close and personal a healthy marriage. So we don't want to lower the bar. We want to keep the bar very high and do everything we possibly can to prepare a new generation for a lifelong lifetime of marriage. So we don't apologize for the clear teaching of the Bible on this area. Having said that, I want to be a pastor. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And broken people do broken things. And divorce, it happens. I know in a room this size, there's some of you that went through the horror and the sorrow and the pain of divorce. And listen to me, I'm not throwing a rock at you. I wish I could go back and redo some things in my life. But here's the deal. Going forward, you can renew your vow to your mate again and again and again and simply say this, the D word is not an option. The D word is not an option. I playfully say to people, if Charlotte ever leaves me, she needs to pack two bags, I'm going with her. And divorce is not an option. Murder maybe, no, I'm kidding, not that either. But no, no, we're in this to the end. And here's how, again, it works. If I know, I'll say it in a way that Danny Aiken can understand. If I'm stuck with her till the day we die, I can be stuck and be miserable, or I can be stuck and be happy. Well, I like happy more than miserable, but you know what I've learned? Happy requires a lot of work. Let me be honest again. The hardest work I've ever done in my life is in my marriage, and we've not always had great days. True story. We're in our first church Sunday morning. I have to call the chairman of the deacons. and say, look, I'm sorry. We're not going to be able to either there today. Shaw's not feeling well. And I think I need to stay home here and be with her. Oh, no problem. Anything we can do? No, no, nothing you need to do. Well, she was terrible. She was in the, bed, in, the, in the bathroom, locked the door, crying out of control because of something stupid I'd done. Honey, we need to go to church. I ain't going to church. You go by yourself and you tell them I'm not there because you're a jerk. You shouldn't be a husband or a pastor. Oh, it gets better. Tim and Cindy, we were their mentors. They're marriage mentors. Can you believe this? We were their mentors. They show up at our house one Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Bad time. She, I don't know why she did this. Her place was to lock the bathroom door and just have a, a, a crying fit for about an hour. So she's back in the bath, bathroom crying. They come to the front door. Hey, we just thought we'd stop by. I'm like, you got to wait here just a minute? Go to the bathroom, Honey. Tim and Cindy, we're here. Would you come out of there? No, I'm not coming out. You tell them all I'm in here. You're a jerk. You shouldn't be doing our marriage counseling, and you're not a good minister either. So, I mean, so finally I go back to the front door. I said, guys, uh, I tell you what, this is not really a good time. Why don't you all stop by later? Oh, that's okay. What is it, 3 o'clock? How about 5? I said, no, nah, 5 wouldn't be a good time either. <laughs> but wouldn't you like us to come back? I said, oh, about two weeks. I think we'll have things fixed by two weeks. Now, it really only took about four or five days. You say, you're you're serious. I'm very serious. And look, we love each other. Madly, madly, madly in love with each other, okay? But I don't care who you are. You're a sinner. Sinners do sinful things. Hard times come. But if you're committed to working through them and getting on the other side, you can. Finally, number seven. The fox of misunderstanding. Your marriage will get in trouble if the man and woman fail to understand and appreciate and enjoy just how really different they are from one another. We'll end on a fun note and then do a quick Q&A. I was thinking about it one day and it came to me. It just popped in my mind, and then since then I've seen several other people that have the same thought. You want to know this different thing in marriage, how we can summarize it? It's very easy. Men are dogs, women are cats. There's the whole thing right there. Men are dogs, women are cats. You say, Would you explain that? Gladly. What does it take to have a happy dog? Three things and only three things. You feed him, you play with him, and you praise him, and you have a happy dog. What does it take to have a happy husband? Three things, and only three things. You feed him, you play with him, we know what that means, and you praise him, and you will have a happy husband, all right? You're married to a dog, ladies. I'm sorry, but that's what he is. Guys, you're not married to a dog. Wish they were, but it'd be a lot easier. But no, we were married to a cat. How does it work with a cat? Well, you're standing in a room one day, minding your business, not bothering anybody. You look over there, and there's a cat, and that cat's eyeballing you. You don't move because you don't know what to do. Here it comes, and can you believe it? It starts rubbing up against your leg and purring. You pick it up and hold it and maybe even scratch its head, and it keeps purring, and you put it down. It runs out into the other room, and you're like, man, that's a sweet cat. That was, that was a nice cat, which I think is an oxymoron, by the way. But anyway, that's a nice cat. Thirty seconds later, the same cat appears in the door. You look at it. It looks at you. And suddenly, without any provocation, it jumps for your face and tries to claw your eyeballs out. <laughs> same dang cat. But something happened in the other room. I don't know what happened, but its disposition now has been radically altered. And you're like, "My goodness, I know exactly what you're talking about." Sure. Well, what do I do? I don't know. This is the part where I have to say, "I'm sorry, guys, but I don't know." You pray. You pray a lot. You ask God to help your cat and be nice to your cat and help your cat, you know, get over what's bothering it. But I do know this: God told me in His Word, "I'm not good by myself. Not good that a man is alone." He needs a helper who will perfectly complement him. And I do know this. We are better together than we would be by ourselves. I'm a better man. I'm a better dad. I'm a better minister because of the woman that God put in my life. And so, yeah, there are going to be bumps along the way. But praise God, through Jesus, he gives us the strength to navigate those, to overcome those, and see the joy and the beauty and the wonder that's on the other side. Marriage is the hardest work you'll ever do. But I believe it's also the most worthwhile work you'll ever do too. So, Paul, we will to take ten minutes, do real fast, boom, 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 and we'll be through by twelve thirty.
1: Let's uh, we'll just go ahead. I've got a few things we'll wrap up okay, and we'll we'll hit it tomorrow. But could we just say a huge thank you to Doctor Aiken for <laughs> blessing us? Thank you. Thank you, brother. Good job. And so for those of you uh, who are members here at Tri-Cities or you don't have a church home, we'd love to invite you to come back tomorrow, and we're going to be getting into the Equip the Family portion of our weekend, talking about discipling our kids and, and how we live for the gospel as families, uh, and as parents. If you don't go to church here, we'd encourage you to go worship with your church family tomorrow, not just to come back here, uh, but we will have uh, the message tomorrow posted online, and so you can go back and watch and listen to that. I uh, want to let you know about a couple other resources. Again, the, the notes for everything doctor aiken Akin's gone through are available online to you, if you want to go back and grab those. Um, I need to apologize to you. We have recorded the sessions, but we'll just re- we'll just post the first two. How about that? So I'm sorry about that. Edit, edit, edit that. I know. I yes, so I misspoke. So we'll make sure we take care of those. If the, notes
0: the folks have, Yes. The last page will be the notes the message in the morning.
1: Okay. So the message notes for tomorrow morning are also in that packet as well. So I apologize, Doctor Aiken, for that misled you. Uh, but today's been really, really good. Another resource just want to let you know about, and again, if, if you've been around Tri-Cities at all, you, you know about this, but we have a thing called the Family Discipleship Plan, and that is a week-by-week-by-week uh, week by week by week guide to help moms and dads disciple their kids at home. And that's from preschool now all the way through high school, and so that's a, that's a personalized plan that goes from birth to college. Just something that we've been de- developing over the last five to six years, and so if you go here, you know about that. But if you don't, that's something that's a resource for you. And I'm really excited. Our, our team's working really hard uh, to be able to take the FDP and personalize it. And so we're really excited. The beginning of next year, there's actually going to be a website. Dedicated to that that you can personalize around your family and so some other resources to help you in the journey uh, As we try to fight for the glory of God in our homes and in our marriages and among our children And so we are really thankful uh, that you've taken some time out of your schedule again to be with us today I'd love to just pray for you and and then we will be dismissed Father God, we, we love you so much and we thank you for just the opportunity to come together this morning and to learn about your word, to learn about this beautiful thing that you've created called marriage uh, that was designed by you for your glory and to be a picture uh, of the gospel to a watching world. And I just want to pray for the men and women in this room who are married that their marriages would represent the gospel. And as we've been reminded this morning, we know that there's many ways that hasn't happened in the past may not be happening in the present but as we've been challenged and encouraged you make all things new and you can redeem and restore anything and so we pray that you would we pray that as psalm 127 says that that our children would be like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior just pray that they would grow up to love you follow you and be shot out for your glory here in our nation and among the nations and we just pray that this, the people in this room and in the churches represented here would just be uh, a launching pad for the gospel around the world. We thank you for Dr. Aiken. Uh, we thank you for his life, his legacy, that, that even later in life, he is leveraging what you've given him to make you known. And I just ask that your blessing would be upon him, his marriage, his children, his grandchildren. We thank you for his faithfulness. Pray that you would do that in us as well. All the glory belongs to Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.